Welcome to Study, Grow, Know, where we discuss theology, prophecy, and current political issues from a conservative biblical perspective. Here's your host, Dr. Fred DeRuvo. Hi, and thanks for joining me. This is Dr. Fred. You're listening to another episode of Study, Grow, Know, and as always, we've got links at the top of the transcript for your research. Today's episode is called Brief Periods of rest. But before we get into that, let's do a quick roundup of what's happening in the world today. Now, obviously, a great deal is happening throughout the world, and much of it is based on the situation between Russia and the Ukraine. Now, before anyone accuses me of supporting Putin, I'm not. Please understand that it appears that due to likely Kamala Harris encouraging Ukraine to join NATO, she either wittingly or unwittingly encouraged Ukraine to break the Minsk agreement with Russia. Now, obviously, the situation between Russia and the Ukraine is very complex, and everyone, of course, has an opinion. Most are willing to place sole blame on Putin and ignore the fact that Zelensky, the president of Ukraine, is merely a puppet of Klaus Schwab's World Economic Forum. Now, the issue really is a concern because of the involvement of Schwab and his policies in that part of the world. And of course, George Soros supports Zelensky and Ukraine. And this is separate from the people of Ukraine. Obviously, we should be supporting the people of Ukraine, all of them, including the people there who speak Russian, who are Russian people. So we need to be supporting that. We need to lift that up. But we need to understand a little bit more about what's going on. And it is difficult to wade through all this. But I am of the opinion that what is happening between Russia and Ukraine is a completely controlled situation so that world leaders can take their two-year-plus focus off of COVID-19 and put it on to other things. CV didn't work out as planned, so obviously a war is needed to bring further destruction to global economies. And we've been talking about the fact that it appears that Satan has been given the go-ahead to build his final global kingdom as first highlighted in Daniel 2, and that seems to be what's happening. So this new war, which incidentally seems to have been encouraged greatly by the Biden administration, will also serve to leave Biden unaccountable for the economic damage that he has done and continues to do, or at least allows to happen in the USA. Though it's clear that he blamed Trump for allegedly not taking responsibility Uh, in certain areas of the economy and promised that if he, Biden, became president, he would take responsibility. It's funny to learn how quickly he he blamed Putin for the rise in gas prices that are still happening in America, as I'm sure your wallet knows. Now, the crux of the problem, in my opinion, is that the plan has always been to destroy America's economy, and by doing so, destroys America as a world power. There are too many coincidences to believe otherwise. For Americans, it appears as though we are being moved from one crisis to another with very little, if any, respite in between. It can be exhausting if all we do is focus on the problems. 
And I'm reminded of the Israelites in the book of Joshua. Moses had just recently died and leadership had been graciously transferred from Moses to Joshua, who had been associated with Moses for decades. Joshua led the people of Israel into the promised land physically and the fight against the enemies there whom God chose to kick out of that land. Why did God decide to do that? Because he simply liked Hebrews better than all the rest? Not at all. He kicked nations out because of the plain fact that their cup of wrath had become full to overflowing. In other words, by God's own admission, he was going to use Israel as his arm of judgment against blasphemous and adulterous nations that spent their days worshiping Satan and even sacrificing their children to him via Moloch. Now, what's interesting here, let's just give a brief overview of part of the book uh, of Joshua. Joshua 1 highlights the preparatory stage to actually cross the Jordan into the promised land. Joshua 2 covers the exploits of the spies sent from Israel to spy out the land and how Rahab the prostitute hid the spies from authorities to protect their lives. Joshua 3 covers actually crossing the Jordan. And Joshua 4 highlights the 12 memorial stones set up to commemorate that crossing of the Jordan and how once the priest's feet touched the waters of the Jordan, the waters parted on a smaller scale like they did with the Red Sea to allow the Israelites to walk over on dry ground. And Joshua 5 deals with the fact that the kings on the other side of the Jordan heard what happened about how God had parted the waters of the Jordan and how they began to greatly fear the Israelites and they had no strength left in them. And then interestingly, also in Joshua 5, we learned that apparently the new generation of Israelites had not been circumcised. So God demanded that they become circumcised. These were the Israelite men who were born during the wilderness wanderings for 40 years. God allowed the people to remain in their camp until they had become healed from the circumcisions that were forced on them. God gave a new name to the place where they camped also, Gilgal, which is rolling, as in rolling away their reproach by circumcision. Now, in Joshua 5.13, Joshua meets the commander of the army of the Lord, but he doesn't know who that is. So notice Joshua, once he finds out who this individual is, he worships this commander, and he was not rebuked for it in verse 14b, and was then told, as Moses had been told, to take off his sandals because he was on holy ground, verse 15. Joshua 6 highlights the destruction of the city of Jericho. Joshua 7 highlights the fact that the Israelites were defeated at the city of Ai. Why? Well, because in spite of God's command to leave the accursed things and not take anything back to their tents, unfortunately, Achan did so. And of course, this created a huge problem for all of Israel, and it brought about Israel's defeat when they went up against Ai, because they didn't know, the others didn't know that Achan had done this sin. So the sin of Achan was found out, and he, along with his family, donkey, oxen, sheep, and other belongings, were destroyed. To Achan's credit, and I have to credit him for this, he admitted his guilt in verses 20 and 21. Joshua 8 
shows us Israel back in fellowship with God. And then because of that, he granted the victory against Ai. Joshua 9 tells of the treaty with the Gibeonites that never should have occurred. Why did it occur? Well, because no one, including Joshua, took the time to go to the Lord and ask them what they should do, verses, verse 14b. They didn't realize they were being deceived. They, figured, they thought they were smart enough to figure it out, and they would take this at face value. You ever do that? I've done it, and it has done nothing but create problems for me. Finally, after numerous further wars and conquests in Joshua 11:23, we read the following statement. So Joshua took the whole land according to all that the Lord had said to Moses, and Joshua gave it as an inheritance to Israel according to their divisions by their tribes. Then the land rested from war. Now, some commentators look at this verse and they believe this and maybe a few other verses in Joshua prove that God had completely fulfilled his promises to Israel. They rested, they were done. Unfortunately, though, it's not the case. Joshua 13, just a couple of chapters later, tells us of other land and areas that remained to be yet conquered. So what is 1123 telling us? Well, it's basically telling us up to that point, everything was given up to that point. Everything was given and uh, Israel was able to rest. Did they rest forever? No, they did not rest forever because more land needed to be conquered. But someone other than Joshua would be needed because of his age. And we soon learn more from the book of Judges. And after the dividing of all the land between tribes, Joshua 14, 15b tells us simply, then the land had rest from war. So here we are in 1123 saying the land rested from war. And then 1415 tells us again, the land rest had rest from war. So there were things happening in between. And this is not to say, by the way, that other nations, other tribes of people separate from the Israelites wouldn't try to overtake them and try to conquer them. So then they would have to fight back. There was never permanent rest. Never. The book of Judges opens with the reality of continuing conquest in the land, and this is after Joshua. So Joshua led the Israelites to victory, one after another, against many kings and nations in the promised land. The cycle was interesting. Israel would fight and overcome, then they would fight and overcome. They might make a mistake and lose, but then they would fight and overcome some more and then rest for a while. There might be a short or long time of no wars for Israel. They'd then be back at it, fighting another enemy that God tasked them with conquering. So in fact, other scriptures tell us why God did not have Israel conquer all the nations at one time, but instead gave them victories over time. Uh, here it is, Deuteronomy 7.22, And the Lord your God, this is Moses speaking, will drive out those nations before you little by little. You will be unable to destroy them at once lest the beasts of the field become too numerous for you. I think that's an interesting concept. So God spaced the victories out and didn't have it so that Israel would destroy all these nations all at once because they would have been overwhelmed by all of the beasts of the field and the wild animals. So that was another reason why God did that. But by way of application, isn't this really what the Christian life is all about on this earth? with respect to spiritual warfare, there are times we need to fight the enemy against the many temptations that come our way. 
The spiritual wars may seem unending to us because they go on for a while and they seem to kind of one ends, another one begins. And then one day there's a let up and we find ourselves at rest, not dealing with over temptations, feeling peaceful inside, just enjoying life. Sometimes things simply seem great. And during those times, we wonder, what did, what did we do right? It's actually enjoyable. Well, maybe it isn't so much what we did right to enter into that sort of rest. Maybe it was simply that we struggled through temptations or difficult times. And because of those struggles, they came to an end and we were able to rest. The object is to learn to rest through our trials and temptations, which is very difficult for us. I can attest to that. The hard part for every Christian is to literally get up each day and join the spiritual fight that we are in. Imagine being an Israelite man who was called upon to not only defend Israel, but to go against God's enemies offensively. God would tell them, go, get up, be of good courage, for I have given them into your hand. And the Israelites were supposed to go and kill people they had never met. Now, I've never fought in any war. My father was in World War II, but I never did. In fact, I did very little fighting even as a kid. I'm not sure how I'd feel if I had gone to war in the military and expected, you know, I'd been expected to shoot and kill enemies. But this was the life of people in the ancient days. They knew they had to do this. They had to protect their property, their land, and this was the only way to do it. They became the military for themselves. There were no police officers. There were no sheriffs. There were no other law enforcement agencies. They did it. Yes, it was important to push back, for instance, against Hitler and Stalin and a few others. But I think that most of the wars in modern times, at least since the early 1900s, were all politically motivated. And I believe that's what's behind this World War III alleged war between Russia and Ukraine. I think it's all political and, and it's going to enrich people and it's going to destroy others. But here we are in 2022, right? We fought against Hitler. We fought against Stalin and communism. And yet communism appears to be rearing its ugly head and winning. So what was it all about? Thousands upon thousands of deaths in every war. And the world seems to have learned nothing because a new generation always comes up. Spiritual war is obviously different, though, isn't it? Christians are literally born into that spiritual battle because of our salvation in Christ, we have an obligation to resist the enemy of our souls. Failure to do so guarantees our defeat. But fortunately, God does not allow us to be in the thick of the spiritual battle all the time. Even King David, a man who knew what the war was about and had plenty of enemy blood on his hands, had breaks from war and from fighting. He had times where he could just relax which also, by the way, created their own special problems for him, David and Bathsheba being a huge problem and when he should have been out fighting battles. But in those days, it seems war came every year and it was expected. It's what you did. Warring tribes of people were never content to leave well enough alone, just like the bully down the street who enjoys picking fights. Either defend yourself or be ready to give away what you have to him. Well, I don't know about you, but in these days, I'm feeling more and more like the battle rages and there are precious few breaks we have from it. It's always one thing or it's another added onto it. 
As things continue to ramp up in society with World War III, increasing costs in gas, service, products, etc., we will likely feel pushed and hemmed in on every side. The natural response is that it's to want to hide from it. The thing we need to do, whether we like it or not, is understand that there are going to be more attempts by the enemy to hijack our faith spiritually, to make us doubt God, to make us think we are overwhelmed. But it is also during those times that we need to muster God's grace and strength to be able to fight back so that we don't lose ground and, in fact, we gain ground. I'm working my way through this like many of you. It's uncomfortable at times, and I find myself experiencing more frustration than normal. What can we do? Push on. If we don't, we will be overcome. Now, I'm finding that spending more time with family is very uplifting. Getting together with other Christians is also rewarding. We need each other for support, for prayer, and to simply know that there are others going through the same issues that we face. I would like to encourage you to press on toward the prize of the high calling that we have in Christ Jesus, Philippians 3.14. I'm learning that he doesn't fail, and he does reward those who pursue him. Thanks so much for joining me, and I pray until we meet again that God will open your eyes to show you how blessed you are in him. Have a wonderful weekend. You've been listening to Study, Grow, Know with Dr. Fred DeRuvo. Please join us each week for new broadcasts that deal with theology, prophecy, and political issues from a biblical conservative perspective. 